This is fantastic music. Yep. It's like one of those infomercials. We're, we're in, yeah. Do you know how millionaires drive lots in the keys? This is how they afford them. Tom Vu. It's uh, 12.03. It is. Dr. Payne Show. What's up, Dr. Payne? What's going on? You in pain? You okay? I How's am, your neck, buddy? Uh, you, you, you should talk about you off the top because you're sure. a sufferer of, of what you do. <laughs> yes, I am a sufferer That's of right. pain as well. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, on and off. It's uh, um, There's good days. There's bad days. I, I am sometimes, um, you know, I'll admit that I'm sometimes stupid and I do stuff to aggravate it myself, uh, such as golf. But yeah, there is uh, the neck on the left side is, again, it comes and goes. I'm getting it treated. Uh, I'm going for an MRI just because I'm starting to get some uh, pain down my arm, so it might be a bit of a disc herniation. Now, have you self-diagnosed to a certain point, or have you had? A no, I, I get all my colleagues yeah. to smart. Yeah, you know, once you start getting into the self-diagnosis, it's tough because um, you know, once you know all this stuff, you also start to catastrophize what it could mm-hmm. potentially be. Um, but yeah, anyways, it, you know, I've I've had it looked at, and uh, I'm getting it treated, and it's on and off. It's definitely. I would say better than it was, uh, but it's not totally resolved. But that's, you know, that's the reality of pain management. It's not something that necessarily disappears. Uh, It's also, again, the biggest thing that I say is how much are you willing to do the right thing? And I've just admitted to you that I've been a bit dumb on my own end where I've done some aggravating things. uh, And so in doing those aggravating things, you're obviously going to aggravate your issues. So, you know, in a way you're kind of asking for it sometimes, uh, which is, I guess, what I'm, I'm doing a little bit of. But now that it's starting to travel down the arm i'm taking it a little more serious yeah. and and i want to definitely get a treat i'm actually going to go for treatment right after the show today i'm going to head to the clinic go get some uh uh one of the chiropractors that i work with to get him to treat me and uh probably some acupuncture stuff down the arm uh and some release therapy of the muscles i had some done the other day it does really help um but yeah that's pretty much it my i'm a sufferer like everyone else right. I, I i'm doing what i preach but um, you know, in a way it is good because that, that empathy is important to understand what people truly go through. And, uh, you know, I've, I've experienced a lot of different injuries myself throughout the years. And every time that I experience a new injury, like, although I know about it from a, a textbook standpoint, a clinical standpoint, it's totally different when you've been able to experience the injury yourself. You now appreciate it just a little bit more. There's different that perspective. Li- yeah, right? there's that different perspective where you're like, I see what people are saying now. Because when you haven't experienced something, you can only, to an extent, sympathize with their issue. But empathy is a little bit different. And so... Um, you know, it, it does really make you understand. Yeah, I know what you're going through. I've I've had this. This is um, kind of the way it goes. So it's you know, it, maybe it's a blessing in disguise that I go through all these injuries mm-hmm. just so I can better understand them. Um, but yeah, no, I mean that's the reality of of our bodies as we do the things that we do day to day. We do cause breakdown of the different tissues and repetitive strain sprain. You try to be active. Uh, you try to do the fun things that you want to do. I, I've been hurt with, you know, doing silly things like picking up my niece or something. Right. And, and that's, that's not, you do do it. Yeah. That's and and that's happen. common. Yeah. I've even, you know, and, and I remember when I first started and I would meet people that had totally blown a disc in their back, like really bad disc herniations. And you'd ask them, how did it happen? And they'd be like, I was just putting on my socks. Yeah. And it's like, when you're, when you're a new practitioner, a student, and you're learning about these things, you're like, are you sure it was just putting on a sock? Like, how does that happen? But the reality is, is it's a cumulative event. And then there's finally one 
uh, incident that really gets it. So it's not that the sock you putting on the sock that day was, that's it, that's how you blew your disc. It's cumulative. You were probably yeah. doing a lot of wrong things for a long period of time. That was a cherry and on top. Exactly. And finally, yeah. your body gets to that stress curve that I've talked about before. And again, it's hard from a, um, you know, we're over the airwaves, so it's, it's hard, the visual perspective. But when you look at the stress curve, and you can even look this up, the stress curve exists for pretty much everything. There's, a, there's an optimal level of stress at the top where not enough is not good and too much is bad. And once you reach a certain threshold, you create a, a, an area for injury or trauma. And that's the same thing with, with bodily tissues. You can increase the stress to a certain point, right? That's the whole benefit of working out and being mm-hmm. active is you bring the stress on your tissues up so that you are stronger. But then there is a fine line where yep. if you reach a certain threshold and you go past that threshold, well, now you've caused injury or trauma to that tissue. Um, and then you start to fall off with too much stress on that end or too much trauma. So um, yeah, pain is, uh, it, it's there. We have pain. You know, we we this whole show is dedicated to pain management. And I guess sometimes people get the idea that pain is bad and like, you know, why does pain, but pain exists for a very important reason. It's to notify us of when things are wrong so that you can do things to either stop whatever it is that you're doing that's hurting yourself or to get it taken a look at. And, you know, the beauty about um, where we are now in today's day and age, there's so many different ways to treat pain, right? This isn't 500 years ago, it's not even 50 years ago when there was only one mentality of treating pain, right? And that's where kind of that whole opiate crisis originated from, where the thought was you're treating it with uh, heavy narcotics, and that was really it. And the other different types of therapies were kind of on the back burner and emerging and even often criticized and and sometimes stigmatized and said, no, that's that's BS, that doesn't work. Snake oil. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But we're starting to learn that all of these things have a very, very important role in pain management. If we put them all together, um, that's our best chance of getting people uh, pain-free is working with the things that, you know, that are more traditional and the things that maybe are new and emerging now within a certain limit, right? Like if someone's telling you, I can cure your, your pain by reading your palm or something like that, there's, but anything that's, you know, within a, a certain, um, I guess, realm of, of, uh, scientific authority, <laughs> right. right? Because, you know, yeah. things like acupuncture, uh, manipulation with chiropractors, physical therapies, all those things are starting to develop a lot of good research to suggest, yeah, Hey, this stuff does, uh, help with certain pain management. And that's the clinician's job. Someone who knows everything about pain management to look at a patient and say, okay, here are all the tools at our disposal for pain management. Here are the things that I likely think will help you based on the injury and the prognosis that you currently have uh, going through right now. And that's and that's what we do. That's what I do specifically with my assessments. I, I have all these different tools at my disposal through my team of healthcare professionals. And then I see a patient, I assess them and I say, okay, based on what you're presenting with, based on your specific complaint, your specific presentation of the complaint, um, here's what I think will benefit you in terms of a treatment plan. That doesn't necessarily mean, in fact, the treatment is never specifically with me because I, right. I only will do the assessments and I've put people in place to do the treatment because I believe I've, I've picked the best people to do these things. And so, um, you know, that's what we're doing. And I, that's constantly what happens. For example, I had a patient this week who came in, um, and was told that he had, um, a tear in his shoulder, which again, we've gone through this a lot. How, how, often misdiagnosed this as, oh, there's a, you take an ultrasound and then, oh, there's a tear and that must be the cause of your pain. 
once I, I looked at this person and it was very, very quick, I always talk about that my assessments are an hour. Sometimes things are so textbook that I know it's within right minutes, like, yeah. and I'm just like, no, this is, and as soon as I started talking to this gentleman, I was like, you're developing frozen shoulder. Like whoever told you that your pain is due to a tear, it's, it's not the reality. And then he's like, okay, well, why am I developing frozen shoulder? And there's really, we, we can't say for sure what causes frozen shoulder. There are some things that uh, predispose someone to developing frozen shoulder. And some of those things are trauma and diabetes. And it was interesting because, again, once you're a knowledgeable pro- professional and you start looking at something, right away when I saw, okay, this sounds like frozen shoulder, I moved this. And it's very characteristic, the physical exam for frozen shoulder. I was like, have you, do you, you diabetic? You diabetic at all? He's like, well, my blood sugar is actually high pretty consistently based on my last blood work. And also, and I said, and have you ever had any falls? Yeah, I had just had a fall about six months ago. So boom, it made sense. And so we've gotten him in to see a surgeon for a surgical consult. Not that they will likely do sure. it, but just to get a more authoritative opinion on that uh, on that frozen shoulder. Just getting warmed up. Phone lines are open. You want to call in through one o'clock this afternoon. You got pain, you got health concerns. Bring them on. Dr. Payne is here. 416-870-6400. Stars 640 on sale. The Dr. Payne Show continues. Talk radio, AM 640. 12.15, we are live and ready to roll. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You have health and pain concerns. Uh, bring it on. You want to talk about another uh, happening this week? I do. Yeah, yeah, this one just highlighted something that I think is uh, is important to just kind of make people aware of. I had um, uh, a, a lady that came to see me a little bit older, um, 77 years old, and she was presenting with uh, what she told me was a neuropathy in her left leg. For those okay. of you who don't know, that means that the neuropathy, the word means pathology in the nerve, which just means pain in the nerve. Um, that's, again, the same thing as saying fever. And so she was told she was she had a neuropathy by a neurologist. And the question becomes, okay, fine. Well, what's causing the neuropathy? Right. That's a very, very important thing uh, to figure out because, you know, that's like going somewhere and saying my my bicep hurts and they tell you, yeah, you have bicep pain. It's like, yeah, no, Thanks. I know. I That's why yeah. I came here. So... Uh, she comes to see me and, uh, you know, we go through the history and she starts saying some things and she says, you know, if I'm standing, it's only one-sided. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm standing for a long period of time or if I walk uh, for a while, I start to really get that that nerve pain in the leg. And then as soon as I sit down, better. Uh, right away, characteristic. You've heard me say stenosis. it enough. Stenosis, exactly. That's, I'm hired. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's characteristic. It's like yeah. a textbook presentation. So, you know, we talk a little bit more and and I tell her, I say, you know, it does sound like you likely have some stenosis going on. Um, I said, you know, really, we probably should get you an MRI, all that stuff, Mm -hmm. but we can't do that today. And you probably want some answers today. So, you know, good modality is x-ray just to kind of take a look at the spine, see what's going on. So I sent her for x-rays, came back. And what I found was very interesting because she does have stenosis. So when we look at the word stenosis, stenosis means a narrowing of a canal. Okay. And we often assume that that narrowing of a canal is through the degenerative process so that as things, as calcium gets laid down and becomes more bone, it closes in on this canal. What she actually had was she had an accentuated lordosis and a bit of a scoliosis. And what it did was on one side of her spine, it was just making that IVF where the nerve comes out smaller. So it wasn't necessarily degenerating, but because of the structural positional changes of her spine, 
um, that side was still narrowed. So it's still a form of stenosis, but it's not stenosis. It's more off-center than anything else. Correct. It's not stenosis due to degenerative disc disease. It's stenosis due to the position of the spine. And it made sense why her symptoms were only on one side. Because actually with degenerative arthritis uh, and degenerative stenosis, you would actually expect that the symptoms are bilateral. Right, um, and and that was one of the characteristic things that people usually say with with central canal stenosis. They'll say, "Yeah, I walk and I start to get burning in both my legs, and as soon as I sit down, it's better." But she was saying it on one side. That's why it was kind of like it is textbook presentation, but it's not a hundred percent textbook. Uh, but we were able to figure that out. And the important thing was, you know, she had gone to see this neurologist a number of years ago. And was told she had a neuropathy, but no reason to why the neuropathy was happening. We were able to identify likely why the neuropathy is happening. And now I've given her recommendations on what she can do because she- what would that be? So with that, that was essentially we needed to work on things. So there's different exercises that you can do. Um, to you're never going to change a scoliosis or a lordosis, or it's yeah. just it's very very hard. But you can work on when you have uh, a scoliosis, for example. What you want to do is the side of the scoliosis that's under constant stretch. You want to strengthen that side, and the side that's under constant contraction because that's towards mm-hmm. the curve. You want to stretch it out, so you can do different positional oh. exercises to change that. Um, also getting some therapy to release because a lot of her pain once I was poking around was also in response to just the muscles on that side tightening up and creating myofascial pain, which is very similar to neuropathy type of pain. And so I told her, you know, you got to get these muscles treated as well uh, by either massage therapist, physiotherapist, chiropractor, Mm -hmm. whoever is really good at treating um, those things. And again, then I make my recommendation based on where these people are coming from because she right. she was living out West. So I referred her to someone out West because obviously uh, it was too far for her to get to uh, my main clinic. And, and I basically gave her a plan of things that she can do. But again, very, very happy because she finally got some answers as to, okay, well, why is this here? Because it just, I, I think it's such a disservice to just tell people these things. And it so often happens. You go in, I have back pain. And then someone says, yeah, you you have mechanical low back pain. It's like, yeah, no, I understand I have back pain, but what is the back pain? What right. anatomical structure is causing this would be nice. Be specific about yeah. it. Or or in this case, you have a neuropathy, fine, but what's Why? causing the neuropathy? It would be the same thing if you took your fever and it was really high and you went to the emergency room and they said, John, you have a fever. You would say, yes. Yeah, thanks, I know. Doc. I yeah. got that. Um, I know, but what's causing it? And so, you know, now you always have to consider that sometimes maybe people are told things and they just don't remember. That's always a possibility, right? You can't ever, I can't always rely on the patient feedback that they're giving me as 100% accurate. So maybe she was told something, maybe didn't remember it or couldn't recall it. So I'm not saying that whoever she saw was, uh, you know, completely wrong. Or the other thing is sometimes these specialists are just so busy and overbooked that they just get people in and out, in and out. And if it's not something that's overly serious, it's like, yep, yeah, you know, it's just a neuropathy. You're fine. That's right. not life-threatening. Because, you know, a neurologist is also seeing some very, very serious neurodegenerative things that they got to deal with. And they may be prioritized and sure. say, well, you're just, you're just a little bit of pain in the nerve, but nothing that's going to kill you versus, you know, these other three patients I have after you have something very severe. And so they, they prioritize that way maybe, or, or they don't even realize that they're in that, yeah. that shuffle. So, um, you know, I think it's pretty important that if you're experiencing things and you're told you have something that you understand the difference between what an, a sign is, an objective clinical sign is like a fever. and what a diagnosis is right. like 
stenosis due to positional changing or stenosis due to degenerative arthritis. More of that coming up in your phone calls. Wide open lines, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Dr. Payne Show continues. Talk radio, AM 640. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. We're here and ready to answer your calls at 1024 on a a beautiful Saturday afternoon. This weather is freakish. You know people are out golfing longer. They're biking longer. They're swimming longer. I mean, some pools have reopened. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And that's going to reflect on what happens in your office over the next few weeks as we get into fall, I would imagine, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, We do see some seasonal consistencies with... um, with injuries, right? Like some things are more prevalent at certain times of the year. You just mentioned golf. We do see a lot of golf injuries, obviously throughout the the summer months, the spring, you don't obviously see as many in the winter. Um, you know, this time of the year, um, you also start to see a lot of, uh, you know, not right now because this isn't a good example, but as rain starts to happen a little bit more yeah. and uh, maybe snow later, God forbid, uh, you know, the slips and falls, those types of things yeah. where people just are are not as aware of what's going on. The other thing is as you go from very, very warm um you know, in the summer, and then that transition to a much cooler period. Uh, people's uh, chronic pain, like or, or yeah. old injuries that they have, the trick they, knee. Yeah, they they start to get reaggravated as well uh, for whatever reason. And I and I, you know, I can't answer that based on any very good scientific evidence. But it just is the reality that I've noticed in practice that as the seasons change and that there's a change in pressure, temperature, etc., people's old injuries seem to uh, just be a little more. Uh, highlighted at those points and they want to get them treated at those points so those old injuries do start to rear their heads a little bit in the ter- in, f- in the form of just pain in that area um obviously you know once the snow gets here the a big thing that we see is is low back pain right from shoveling snow that's a that's a huge huge thing um you also start to see i, th- I think i would say that injuries are probably any injury maybe becomes a little more prevalent because there's more disuse during this time. And again, today is not a good reflective day, but as things get cooler, less people want to be outside moving around doing things. And really we're meant to be moving. And so, um, you know, movement can cause an injury too, based on wear and tear and wrong movement patterns. But definitely that movement component is very, very important. I actually, going back to just movement, I, I, you know, I had a, a patient come in um, to the clinic who wanted a neck brace for their neck pain. They were told by their family doctor, get a neck get a neck brace for your for your neck pain. And I was like, you should only be wearing a neck brace if you have a fracture or something. Yeah. Like if there's an instability. Keep it still. It, yeah, there's no reason. You're, the joints throughout your body are called synovial joints. They actually get their lubrication, which brings nutrients and takes out waste through movement. And um, the last thing you want to do is isolate an area to not move because it actually creates more pain. In fact, 30, 40 years ago, when you had when you threw out your low back, that's what they were recommending. They were saying, just stay at home, stay in bed. And people were getting worse and worse and worse because you need to do some type of structured movement, even in a period of extreme aggravation, just to keep other joints moving, to keep them healthy so that there's... Uh, um, you know, there's no hindrance in the function of those joints and that stiffness that that sets in. So the same thing is true when you look at the seasons. As the weather gets cooler and people want to do less and less things, you start to stiffen up a little bit, and that stiffening can predispose you to pain. You know, it's funny, and it, you often tell people, you know, the, the cycling season's soon going to come to a close, so get on the bike in the gym and keep cycling all year long. But then there's a, there's a whole thing, and I think it becomes a bit of a... Of a like a safety blanket for people. I know a lot of guys in the gym, and I'm not saying, like you said, that you always want to be safe, you always want to do things correctly, but I can't count how many times I've seen guys lying on a bench or on a treadmill and they've got a back belt on. 
Oh, yeah. Take it off. Yeah. And I mean, it depends. There is some research to suggest that if you're doing really, really heavy lifting. Absolutely. Then, yeah. Pros wear a belt. A hundred percent. From that perspective, yes. But you're absolutely right. Anytime you introduce uh, uh, something like that, like a low back support belt, what you're actually doing is your body is very smart and your body always wants to conserve energy. That is, is its main function. If the body senses, hey, I have something here acting as my stabilizing core... I don't have to be stabilizing. You guys relax. Yeah, I will not do it. And that means I'll burn less calories and I'll conserve more energy. That's the point of what our body wants to do. As that happens, you're actually not predisposed for injury while you're wearing the belt. What ends up happening, that's when you're predisposed to injury when you're not wearing that belt anymore. Because your body has now gotten used to not supporting itself in these extreme situations that it thinks, well, if I don't even have to support myself in these extreme situations, like lifting weights, then I definitely don't have to support myself, you know, while I'm putting on my socks. And that's why those things happen where someone can throw out their back by bending over while brushing their teeth or putting their socks on or whatever dumb little movement that you think is, no, this, there's no way that this could have caused this much pain. But yeah, it could have, because once you start to decondition these core stabilizing muscles or any stabilizing muscle of any joint, that's when you predispose to injury. Yeah. And that predisposition injury uh, is very dangerous because then the next part, once you've hurt yourself, now you got to get the person out of pain. But in order to prevent this from reoccurring, what do you got to do? You got to restabilize that area. And that's why exercise, rehabilitative exercise is so important in injury management. Oftentimes with the passive interventions, we can get people, I guess we'll call it somewhat pain-free. Sometimes we can even get them 100% pain-free. What people don't realize is you're still predisposed to that injury because we didn't solve the underlying issue, which was that you have a weakened core or weakened stabilizing muscles of a certain joint. And the only way we're going to, the best way, not the only way, but the best way that we can prevent this from happening again or diminishing its severity if it does happen again is through rehabilitating the body. And that part, that rehabilitation is, is, I would say, what's often most missed in pain management because it's also the it's the most labor intensive on the patient's perspective, right? It's very easy to take a pill. Oh, yeah. It's pretty easy to go drive somewhere, lay down and get massage or this or that done to you. It's a lot harder to say, "Hey, I got to do this 5 or 6 times a day for this long. I got to, you know, Dedicate. make sure that I do this when I'm sitting and this when I'm walking and et cetera, et cetera. And that is so much bigger of a time commitment and more labor intensive on the patient that it's often what is missed because People just don't want to do it. But if you really want to get better, that's almost like that may be the only magic bullet out there. I often say there's no magic bullet in pain management, but the closest thing is good rehabilitative exercise. You in pain, you've got concerns. Some of this sounds familiar. Call us 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. We'd love to talk to you. Info at paincarecanada.com. And of course, free consultation, 1-855-55-DR-LOU, D-R-L-O-U. Get it happening. More of the Dr. Payne Show coming right up. Talk radio, AM 640. 1234, Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Open here to talk if uh, you're in pain, you got some physical maladies you want to discuss, or uh, maybe you haven't been diagnosed. Give us a call here right till 1 o'clock, and uh, Dr. Payne will be uh, be all over that. You must It must be a bit of work in your clinic to get somebody off. Like you say, get them in there three or four days a week if they have to, an hour a day, back into a gym, learning how to move again. And like this is the part, the onus is on you to yeah. start moving, right? Yeah, it, it's tough. I, I try to really, really... Um, highlight it. I think it also, you know, one thing is the the people who are in severe pain 
and, and they come out of it, and especially if it's happened a few times, they're a little bit easier to to convince, or not to convince, but to make them understand how yeah. important that is, because they've now gone through it and they say, yeah, I, I can't keep going through this, like this is insane. Uh, versus the people who it's the one time, like the first time that something happens, and then you get them pain-free through the passive intervention, and then you're trying to tell them, you know, you now need to rehabilitate. Those are usually the people that are more like, well, no, it's fine. Like, you know, it was better after a week, and I, I'm not going to do that stuff. So it's just not as serious for them because they don't realize. You can tell someone, hey, you're likely to re-experience this, but words are words. It's it's really once yeah. you experience something that you really it really starts to become evident to yourself. And these people that have gone through things multiple times, and and a lot of the times these are the people that I'm seeing uh, for the first time. They're saying, "Hey, I've had this numerous times now over the last five, six, ten years, whatever it is, and I just can't do this anymore. I, yeah. I need to figure out a way on how do I. Yeah. I'm uh, at the end of my rope. I can't take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I can't keep going like this. And again, that it's. Once you get to that level, it's hard to ever say that you're never going to re-experience something. The whole goal behind the rehabilitation and those things is what you're trying to essentially achieve is to minimize the reoccurrence of it and also to minimize its severity when it does reoccur. Because for me to sit there and say, hey, if you do this, you'll never have low back pain again, nice. for example. that That's just, I would be lying if I said that to somebody. What I can say to somebody is, hey, if you do this, if you do what I'm showing you um, or what my team is showing you, what I can tell you is that, you know, you're telling me that this low back pain has been reoccurring. It started once every six months, then it became once every three, now it's every month, now it's every week. Right. I can tell you that we can start to push that that gap more and maybe we can start going, well, now it's gonna be once every three months and then after more rehabilitation every six months, et cetera. And, you know, instead of it being where it debilitates you and you can't do anything, it won't be as debilitating and you can still function. So you're just trying to really minimize its severity and and how often it will reoccur. And it also depends on how early you're willing to intervene in terms of that rehabilitation. If you experience something for the first time today and then you do everything perfect, you're the best candidate that maybe you'll never re-experience it again in your life. Uh, and that's a big maybe. Uh, but definitely if you're someone coming to see me and you're saying, hey, I've had this for 10 years, um, that's going to be a lot harder. When things are chronic, they're chronic for a reason. And we've gone through that. The hard part about chronic isn't just the insult on the body aspect of the chronic. It's what it does to the mental aspect yeah, and how huge. the mind and the body connect and how that plays into the chronic pain aspect. And so, um, you know, th this is really people should really be aware that when these things are happening, if you're being told to do these rehabilitation exercises, it's pretty important that you listen to it if you really want to minimize it. Because, you know, I, I see a ton of chronic pain patients and the story is never all that different. And it's always just as sad. And, and it's, you know, the, the number that I've seen, you think I would at this point become kind of shut off to the personal yeah. aspect yeah. of it. But it's so tough when you meet these people. And I've met people that, that you know, were high-functioning people, executives at one point, and chronic pain has literally brought them to the bottom where they've lost everything. They've lost their work, their savings, their uh, their loved ones because of how bad chronic pain can become. And, you know, I may, it may sound like I'm exaggerating this, but I'm telling you that I've seen this a lot of times in my office, what chronic pain can do to people. And I'm sure there's people in chronic pain listening right now that are saying, yeah, that was my life. That that was me. I, everything was great. Or yeah. is, this is what's happening to me. Uh, it's nothing to joke around about. Like pain, again, because it's so subjective and it's, you know, I guess pain is not really 
I'll say this with a bit of caution, it's not life-threatening in terms of if you have chronic pain, like you're not immediately going to die tomorrow or anything like that. So our healthcare system is really focused on being really good for things that are um, life-threatening, but things that are tailored towards quality of life, right. Not they're not as important to the healthcare system and and or it's not as important to people. And, and for, for good reason, obviously, you would care more about preventing yourself from dying within the next 72 hours. Than just hurting. Than just hurting, exactly. And uh, But, you know, it is sad what it does to the quality of life of people, that, that chronic pain. And, uh, you know, that's what we're here for, is to try to get those people some help uh, and try to get them at least reintroduced. And, and again, that chronic pain, that's when there's the big psychosocial component, the mental and the social aspect that need to be dealt with to help these people get through what they're going through. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. We'll take a short break. We'll get back into more of that awareness and mindfulness after a short break. Call three. You still got time. Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. 1242, yeah, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You know, you talk about awareness and mindfulness. It's it's amazing how often, like you said, you'll, you'll be, you know, bend over to pick up a sock or a quarter. That's when your back goes up, but not at the gym because you're aware of Correct. what you're doing, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Oh, there no, Mike, go. there we go. Um, yeah, absolutely. When you are, and you know, one of the biggest things that when we get people with back pain and then uh, we're trying to get them out of their back pain, one of the things that we're often telling them is awareness. You need to now brace yourself, right? So we often will say that, hey, you have this injury now, every time you're gonna go cough, sneeze, you need to flex your core, you need to be ready for that. But absolutely, that mindfulness and awareness is very, very important towards preventing that type of issue. I think think you've said that before, which is why athletes are so good at the rehab game, because it's awareness, that's what they do. Yeah, and also the fact that they're, a lot of the times their income or their future potential income depends on it. And they realize, hey, this is no joke. I got to, and you know, you see it. If you're a sports fan and you follow sports, anytime someone has a surgery or an injury, the next thing they're doing is a lot of intensive rehabilitation and they get better. They're, they're from that perspective, athletes are some of the best patients to have in terms of uh, getting them to follow what you right. say because they will follow it. They're on the other end, they're the harder people because sometimes rest is important and they're very hard people to say, hey, uh, you need Take to be, re- yeah, you need to be resting. Yeah. It's like, no, I don't. I got to so get out of it. Yeah, it's a tough one. 416-870-6400, star 640 on Sal. Melanie, hi there. Hey, how are you? Good. What's uh, what's going on with you today? Uh, not much. I was actually driving around with uh, with some pain and thought okay. I'd give you guys uh, a quick call. So. Um, I'll just give you a little bit of my background and then just looking for kind of guidance in terms of what I can do to Excellent. stop it. Um, so I had a workplace accident. In essence, a door slammed on my hand um, and caused a nerve traction injury. So I had my discs in my neck uh, actually hmm. shifted as a result. And there was some like prior degeneration that was there. And as a result of that, it pinched on some of the nerves. And it's been about a year and a half, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I'm still experiencing a lot of um, challenges. I've been on leave since the accident three uh, three times, um, and I've just recently returned again. And I'm I'm already kind of feeling the muscles oh. tense and everything start to so, to react. So, so Melanie, sorry, just because I, I guess maybe I'm getting confused. So you slammed something on your hand. 
so I was entering um, my building, yeah. um, and I had my arm extended behind me okay. to close the door, and it was like one of those big, huge metal office doors. Right. And a huge gust of wind, because it, of course, happened to be a extremely windy day, mm-hmm. slammed the door, and oh. my hand got crushed. Oh, I see. And it kind of, and then there was traction on the whole nerve bundle, and, and, yeah, and that's the how traction, the... You got it. And the traction occurred because once the hand was stuck in the door, yeah. I pulled. I was Right. Like, and uh, then that I kind was... of pulled on the whole brachial plexus, and now you've got, like, long-standing nerve pain and, and that stuff. You got uh, it. Yeah, and I it got it. Yeah. it everywhere. And yeah. It just floats around my body. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a... That's a pretty painful injury, actually, for sure. I've I've seen a couple people that have gone through uh, similar types of uh, stinger and burner injuries. That's kind of the term for those. And, uh, you know, once you put traction on a nerve, um, nerves are not very elastic tissue. So once you traction it, they kind of traction and then, you know, they don't always necessarily return. And so what ends up happening is that the nerve has to pass through a lot of different structures, be that muscles, uh, joints, et cetera, et cetera. Once that injury happens, now your body in any injury will start to lay down scar tissue. And it's often that laying down of scar tissue where that nerve should be flowing nice and gliding nicely that now prevents that nerve from sliding or gliding. And then that causes pain in people such as yourself because now the things that you used to do, uh, like reaching in front of you or to the side of you, now all of a sudden you get that sharp nerve pain is likely what I think is happening to you. Um, yeah, and it fluctuates. So you're, the scar tissue is interesting because I do a lot of physiotherapy. Yeah. And that has been the the issue was getting even to the muscle because of the amount of scar tissue that had kind of formed. Formed, right. And there was a lot of uh, swelling. Yeah, for well. sure. Yeah. So it's been a... <laughs> Have you had um, like a nerve uh, study done, uh, an EMG? I did. Yeah. I did. And that was at the initial stage of the injury. Right. Okay. And it kind of came back with not a lot of results. Like okay. they could tell that there was challenges and there was pain. Yeah but they couldn't determine whether or not there was neurological damage. Yeah. So and then I went for lots of MRIs sure. and then it just came back with the, the shifted discs and I, impinged. I, I would definitely say that probably another EMG at this point is not a bad idea because okay. um, you can at the very least I, in the beginning, sure. But scar tissue does take time to lay down and, and be relevant. So maybe now, if you did it now, you may see a, a specific point of entrapment somewhere uh, where there's significant, because what an EMG is doing is looking for where the nerve signal is getting right. blocked, right? So if you're able to isolate, hey, this nerve is really blocked, like, for example, say in the axilla, um, then which is the armpit, then maybe the therapy can be more targeted specifically to that area versus right. focusing on the whole uh, tr- uh, you know, aspect of the whole upper extremity. So I don't think that's a bad idea to just get it to see if there's a more specific entrapment site versus kind of saying that there's scar tissue everywhere. And that okay. may give you uh, and your team maybe a, a better headway on, okay, how do we go about treating this? But again, if you want a second opinion, I'm always happy to do that. I'm That's kind of the... Um, what I do, and we can take a look at it and and see, um, you know, what what else can be done. We can go through what, exactly what it is you're doing and see if there's anything else that we can add to it. Yeah, Melanie, take this down, info at paincarecanada.com, info at paincarecanada.com, and one eight five 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 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U. If I learn nothing else on the show, it is the clinical name for the armpit. <laughs> I've never heard that before. The axilla? No. No. Oh. You should have learned a lot by now, John. Axilla? Axilla. <laughs> axilla. Gamro versus Auxilla. Sounds a good movie. Uh, Mary, quickly, before we break, what's going on with you? Hi. Hi. Um, I'm, I'm calling uh, actually because my husband sure. has been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. Mm-hmm. 
and um, but he also has depression, and I don't know. I I know they're very closely coupled, but does yeah. one cause the other? Uh, and yeah. what can he do about that? Sure, very very hard to say if if one like you know chicken or egg, which one causes which. But exactly. most of the times, fibromyalgia has a depression component. It also usually has a sleep disturbance component. Where and it's kind of this triad of like it's a circle, it's a vicious cycle. Because if you can't sleep, obviously you're going to maybe be a little bit depressed. And as you're depressed, your your mental activity is not the same. It amplifies your pain, and the cycle continues. And you could pick whatever you want to be first, and the cycle is still going to be the same thing. Um, Fibromyalgia is essentially uh, just heightened nerve activity that causes pain throughout the body. And again, when you look at that, that heightened activity is often related to heightened mental activities through something like depression, where people are really focusing on something negative and that that amplifies the pain levels. Um, And so, you know, it's a very tricky thing to treat, but it has to be treated in a multi-pronged approach between psychological intervention, social intervention, and physical intervention, and also, um, you know, the, the, the rehabilitation stuff that we were talking about before. But again, I think, um, you know, I can't really say specifically what your husband could do without seeing your husband. So I think it's worthwhile to at least have an assessment with me so that I can take a look at it uh, and his whole case overall and see where maybe there's something that can be done. But yeah, fibromyalgia and depression often very, very closely linked, if not almost the same thing in a wow. way. Mary, appreciate your call. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale to call through. we got a few minutes left, so we'll try to get you in. Uh, failing that, info at paincarecanada.com and Dr. Payne's number, one eight five 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 five. doctor Lou, D-R-L-O-U, free consultation. Get it happening. More Dr. Payne Show coming up. Talk Radio, AM 640. A few minutes to go here in the Dr. Payne Show, and we will uh, get to you. Andy, good evening or good afternoon. How are you, pal? I'm good. How are you? Good, man. What's uh, What's going on with you? So basically, um, this happened about like three years ago. It started um, basically when I breathe out very deeply, like uh, basically like take all the air out of my lungs or whatever. I get this like pain in my chest. Okay. And uh, I mean, I went to see doctors after doctors and no one could seem to, to explain what it is. Okay. Um, I've had x-rays done, a whole bunch of other stuff. And basically, like I live with this pain on a daily basis. When I lay on my back and I breathe in and out, mm-hmm. uh, as soon as I breathe out, I get that it's stronger when I'm laying down. Sure. So what I can tell you about when you look at the cardiovascular system, so I'm going to, I'll talk to you a little bit about the heart and the lungs. Anytime someone has pain in the chest or pain like after exhaling, things like that, um, obviously you want to rule out that it's nothing cardiovascular. It's not the heart. It's not the lungs. Maybe in that area, maybe it's also not GI related like the stomach. Once you're able to rule all that stuff out, which is the first step, which is what you should be doing. Oftentimes, this pain is just simply mechanical. It's just related to the mechanics of the spine and the the ribs because of the way they attach to the front of the body into the sternum um, and the muscles in between those areas. So, you know, again, I, I don't know for sure without obviously examining you and assessing you, but what I can tell you is it, you're a pretty good example of someone who has pain in the chest area or whatever. Um, if everything else has been excluded, then the only thing left that it could be is mechanical, which means related to the muscles in the joints. And it's just a matter of figuring out which muscle, which joint is causing that problem. But again, the first step is make sure that it's nothing cardiovascular or GI related. Um, and then 
you know, once you've eliminated that, then the only thing really left is mechanical. So it sounds like if you've if this has been going on for three years and based on what you're saying, it does sound like you've had all those other things ruled out, then yeah, it's probably just mechanical and it's a it's a matter of looking at it from a mechanical standpoint and seeing, okay, what functional issues are happening potentially with uh, posture-related things, things that wear and tear in certain area of the body, uh, the spine curvatures, et cetera, et cetera, and seeing if that's uh, potentially causing your pain. Okay. Okay, so I see you're in Etobicoke, which is actually where my main clinic is, where I do the assessments. So give me a call. Let's uh, set up an assessment, and we can definitely figure out what the pain-generating structure is. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay, no problem. Take Appreciate care. your call, Andy. one 855 Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U. Uh, L-O-U. Last couple of minutes. Just talk about that breath and breathing. How important that is in pain care. People breathe? don't breathe. Yeah, they just don't, they don't, I mean, they physically breathe. Yeah, otherwise yeah, yeah. They're dead, but they don't breathe. Yeah, breathe, yeah. Right? Well, oxygen, I mean, one of the very first things when we do, again, going back to the rehabilitation yep. exercises, one of the first things we do is if someone is cardiovascularly unfit, right. you got to get them back to cardiovascular fitness because an essential component of your muscles getting strong is oxygen, is them having oxygen. If your cardiovascular fitness is poor, that likely means most of the the, the tissues in your body are not getting the adequate amount of oxygen that they require. So good breathing is very important to getting oxygen to those areas. And, you know, it's kind of classic where um, people who start to work out, they'll, they'll work out and they'll hold their breath. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's actually not, it's actually dangerous to an extent, but you need to be breathing when you're doing stuff because it actually helps you to heal from your injuries because your muscles need oxygen. So yeah, breathing is very, very important, but this type of call uh, with the breathing issue, it's, it's very, very characteristic of, of rib issues where people have pain on expiration or inspiration, depending on where the issue is. And honestly, these are things that if these are the ones where, you know, uh, a, a small treatment can have a huge effect right. where, when it's a rib issue and you do some small intervention, people often think you're like a miracle worker because it's like, wow, I've been living with that forever and you did one thing and it and doesn't hurt at all anymore. Uh, and it's just simply because it's something that, you know, again, if you're a cardiologist, your job is not to determine is this muscular. It's just rule out the heart. The ticker. Uh, if you're a respirologist, it's rule out the lungs. And if you're a, an internal medicine or GI specialist, you're ruling that out. Once you've ruled that out, it's really the family doctor's job to look at that and say, hey, cool. it's none of these other things. It likely sounds like it's probably mechanical. That's the only other thing it could be. Now go to someone who's proficient at doing that type of an exam and figuring that out. And uh, again, this goes back to those other things uh, can potentially affect the um, the quantity of your life if you have a heart or lung issue. Uh, but not, but you know, just having pain in that area is only a quality so of life issue. But that doesn't mean it should be any less important to get it figured out the right way. And that's very common. A lot of people are living with constant mechanical pain uh, that could probably be dealt with uh, very, very simply. And they think it might be something else that it's not. It's probably just mechanical, especially if you've had it ruled out with a whole bunch of different tests mm-hmm. and it's been going on for that long. Uh, it's likely nothing else. We'll pick it up next week. Again, info at paincarecanada.com. Appreciate all of your calls. And in the meantime, you can make the phone call one 855 doctor Lou. That's D-R-L-O-U. And uh, you can call Dr. Lou. Get a hold of him. Get that free consultation happening. That is where it's all going to start. Till next time, the Dr. Pain Show right here, Talk Radio, AM 640.